Grid Forward Chats is supported by ITRON. Thanks for your support to make these discussions possible. Welcome to the next edition of Grid Forward Chats. We're here live with two commissioners in the state of California, Commissioner Cliff Recheffen, who was appointed by the in for the California Public Utility Commission in 2017, as well as Commissioner Gunda, Siva Gunda, who was appointed uh, by the commission to join the California Energy Commission just last year, 2021. Welcome, commissioners. So maybe you can briefly just introduce yourself. How did you end up in the role that you are now? What's the stuff that you're focused on? Um, Commissioner Rex Jackman, can I start with you? Sure. Thank you very much, Bryce. I, I've been on the commission since 2017, as you mentioned. But before then, I worked as a senior advisor on climate and energy for Jerry Brown for three and a half years when he was attorney general of California, and then the next six years when he was governor of California. So I got to work on a lot of the same climate and energy issues that I'm working on now. And at the PUC, I've been focused on a lot of our decarbonization proceedings. I'm the lead on our transportation electrification, our renewable portfolio standard, our integrated resource plan, our building decarbonization proceeding. And I've also been the lead on a number of important safety proceedings. Thank you for your intro. Commissioner Yunda, can you just do a quick intro? How'd you end up where you are? Thanks, Bryce. Uh, first of all, thank you uh, for inviting us to the um, to the podcast. Uh, first of all, it's a pleasure to sit with my um, uh, colleague, but also a mentor, um, uh, Cliff Raffenschaffen. Um, so my focus at the Energy Commission is reliability, uh, resource planning more broadly. So when we at CEC uh, work on planning and uh, policy issues, then you know we work closely with the PUC. So SB 100, reliability and equity are the focus. And uh, my journey here, uh, worked at UC Davis uh, for about 10 years uh, as a researcher, uh, joined the commission about uh, five years ago and worked on reliability and got appointed last year. Thank you. So we ask everyone this question. I know we're over two years into a pandemic, so it becomes a little bit belabored, but um, how are you? How are you doing personally? How are the people that you work with? How are they um, hanging in there and doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you. It's a relevant question. My family escaped COVID until last, about two weeks ago when my younger son was an adult, but still living with us, got COVID and we were Certain we wouldn't be able to, very worried we wouldn't be able to come to this wonderful conference in Hawaii, but we managed to avoid that. I think we're doing okay. I do worry not so much about the most the immediate health risks, but the boundaries between work and family and pleasure have eroded. I see that in our agency as well as many others. And I think one of our challenges as we integrate back is to restore some of those boundaries and a sense of balance, which I think eroded during COVID when you were accessible all the time. So you could schedule a meeting on a weekend or seven in the morning or six at night. Commissioner, how about you? Yeah, I uh, don't want to repeat what <laughs> Commissioner Akshafin mentioned, uh, but I think, you know, first of all, just when I, you know, being here in Hawaii, it's, it's, uh, it's great. Uh, and I loved the invocation yesterday um, or, or the two days ago when we did the uh, start of the uh, conference and the aloha spirit. Uh, so it, w- it was great, you know, kind of being able to collaborate. 
uh, and being able to solve problems together. I think as Commissioner Rekshafen mentioned, um, there is many dedicated people in the energy industry, um, you know, including our, our staff, um, you know, us and, and many of, of you know, people in the industry. Uh, we have been working tirelessly over the last 18 months, uh, especially in California uh, with the 2020 um, shortfall that we had. So um, with the intersection of COVID, uh, just the erosion of the boundaries of work and life in balance, but also we are um, at a time of reckoning in terms of climate change um, and uh, the broad you know, racial justice and environmental justice topics we've been dealing with. I think overall there's both um, a sense of hope uh, and a sense of uh, jadedness and, and, I and I choose to ho you know, hope for things. <laughs> Bryce, I just wanted to add, lest people think we're here just on a vacation or a boondoggle, we're here because the Western Public Utilities Commissions rotate among the, all of the 10 members once every 10 years, and it was Hawaii's turn. But also Hawaii has faced some of the most formidable challenges and engaged in, in some of the most innovative practices in its effort to get off fossil resources to deal with COVID. And there's a lot that we have learned from Hawaii being here. And we will cover a reflection on that as we wrap up our discussion today. Uh, we could have the entire conversation on this one, so let's be as quick as we can, but let's just lay the foundation for our discussion today. What's in motion in the industry? <laughs> you know, what, 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 what are you seeing as a, as a challenge or a pressure or just something that, that you see actively in flight that you're working um, in your daily uh, work? Maybe you can build on what's not covered first. Uh, well, we're in the midst of a severe climate challenges, Commissioner Gunda mentioned, and climate change is already happening, and it's happening faster, and it's worse than we thought. And you can just look at California, 98% uh, of the states in, this, in a severe drought. Last year was the hottest year on record. Nine of the last 20, the worst wildfires have occurred uh, in 2020 and 2021. And it's going to be even more challenging and unpredictable going forward. So we have to deal with that very stark reality. At the same time, we're in the midst of an unprecedented, exciting and dynamic transition to a clean energy future to deal with climate change. The price of renewables and storage have plummeted much faster than we ever thought. Many states in the West, Hawaii, Oregon, Nevada, Colorado, Washington, California, New Mexico have 100% clean electricity standards. We are rapidly electrifying the transportation sector trying to do that in the building decarb sector. So we're trying to do a lot at once. And the industry has a lot of innovation that it wants to bring to bear. And managing this all at the same time that we are retiring aging fossil units and in, our, in California's case, a nuclear power plant presents great challenges. What would you add to that? Yeah, I think uh, Commissioner Rekshafen touched upon uh, most of it, but I, I think just uh, in, in, the, in the way I think about it, is we have uh, four compounding challenges. I think Commissioner Rekshafen talked about uh, some really important um, statistics on climate change, uh, as well as our rapid decarbonization plan. So I think you have the climate change, the potential for electrification as a clear pathway to address climate change, along with the changing resource mix on the electricity sector. And, and that kind of opens up the entire regulatory and planning structures uh, that need to allow for that. And finally, I think, you know, rightfully so, for the, for the first time, um, you, know, you know, 
than, than a lot of years before, we have a real reckoning with equity and social justice. So I think the intersection of those four pieces uh, really both provide us opportunities, but it's a very dynamic situation that needs incredible amount of cooperation and coordination and consensus. And I think that's the challenge of our times. So I've seen the recent warnings that weren't certainly a surprise to me, but have become, um, I guess you could call it almost national news uh, about the recent warnings for um, the grid in California. Um, How much is resource adequacy and the topics of kind of ensuring supply and resiliency on the minds of both you all and your roles and the stakeholders that you're working with? Yeah, I'll kick this off, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll have Commissioner Rekshoff add to this. So I think, and as I mentioned, uh, my entry into uh, you know this this role really started with the uh, shortfalls in August 2020, and as you as most of the audience might know, you know we had uh, a record uh, event, a Western Heat event, uh, that was one in 30, almost one in 70 kind of weather event in terms of heat, and I think what that opened up the discussion is really how near and present uh, climate change is on this issue. Uh, so, and how do we deal with that, um, right? So I think resource adequacy is one of the most pressing issues for not just California, and obviously it's, it's on our minds, but it's also the broader WEC. Um, and, and, you know, as, as you know, the NERC summer reliability assessment, it really points out the challenges across the West and, and also the rest of the country. So I think um, from a from our, you know, what's on our mind, you know, resource adequacy is a very important thing. You know, how do we think through the evolution of this? Uh, CPUC currently has a proceeding uh, that is looking at uh, how to uh, improve upon the RA program um, and, and really think through the 24 slices uh, as well as increasing the PRM to really um, tackle this. Anything to add? Uh, I'd like to expand the discussion beyond just resource adequacy because we are trying to tackle it on multiple fronts. The resource adequacy program is the pillar, but there are many other efforts. At, our, at the, my agency, we've ordered an unprecedented amount of new clean energy procurement. We started in 2019 with 3,300 megawatts. Last year, we ordered 14,000 megawatts to come online between 2025 and 2027. And in addition, in response to the immediate uh, challenges, including the outages that uh, Commissioner Gunda, uh, or that, that happened in 2020 because of the conditions Commissioner Gunda mentioned, we told the utilities to procure an additional two to 3,000 megawatts, and we're challenging them to come up with new ideas for that, including giving uh, play to innovative demand response programs. We're automatically enrolling certain customers into demand response programs, they get paid when we call flex alerts, which is when the system operator says there's emergency conditions and you, you need to conserve and reduce load. We've, we're doing pilots to have electric vehicle batteries be able to provide resources uh, to the grid in, in the event of emergencies. So we're tackling it on multiple fronts and in the most recent budget submission from our governor, which happened a few weeks ago, he suggested uh, further expenditures to provide us with an even greater hedge in the event of multiple cascading crises that would really tax our system. 
and, and the shape of the resources is is pretty critical, right? It's it's not each peg fits the the shape of the hole or the need, right? There's there's the peak need and the unexpected system. So is there some other some other aspects to this that you'd like to add on? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, as Commissioner Rekshafen mentioned, um, as the governor you know, put out the budget, really recognizing the totality of this issue and, and the compounding nature of this issue. I think, you know, we started in 2020 looking at, you know, what a regional heat could look like and what could that do to our um, reliability. And then we went into 2021 and we did not have a regional heat uh, actually coinciding with other issues we had. And in 2021, the big issue uh, was really the wildfire knocking out about 4,000 megawatts of transmission imports coming into California. And then you had this extended drought. Uh, So... While, while you recognize, you know, those compounding events and, you know, as, as Commissioner Rekshoffen mentioned, uh, CPUC authorized an unprecedented 11,500 megawatts of NQC, of clean resources coming online, which could translate to 25,000 to 30,000 megawatts of clean resources over the next five to six years. But the problem then becomes, can you actually build at that scale that quickly uh, with the current structures we have and, you know, the Department of Commerce investigation recently that, uh, you know, Biden administration came with, you know, some some strategies to address that. But how do you how do you bring that in? And then, as you point out now, as we bring the resources, we're really talking about net peak for California. Uh, we have a lot of solar uh, on, on the grid today uh, that could both provide support in the peak time, uh, but also help with the charging of the storage. But then how do you get through the net peak time of 4 to 9 p.m.? And how long is that period going to grow over the next several years is an important element. So you have the demand flexibility, uh, which is a very important strategy, along with thinking through how do you integrate vehicles and so on. Just wanted to add one thing in response to your question about the shape of the resources. And Commissioner Gunda said it perfectly. We're now worried about net peak, which is 8, 8 p.m. basically in the September in California, for example, but it's the same issue in other parts of the country that are decarbonizing. When does the solar when does the solar resource die down, and when is peak demand is demand very high? What we're also finding in terms of changes to our planning regime, which I think everyone's going to face, is that we can no longer just rely on past conditions. We that they don't predict the future. You you know you can you can be. Um, T. Rowan Price and saying past performance does not guarantee current returns, but it's really true now. Climate has scrambled everything, so we can't just say, well, the past five years of climate data are going to predict what the load's going to be like and temperatures are going to be like in the future. We have to plan for more extreme conditions. Absolutely. We, we could stick on this topic the entire time, but let's pivot a little bit and talk about electrification. Um, California, like many locations is really trying to lean into um, transportation, cleaning up. Um, obviously, the, the skies in California, um, from a pollution standpoint, have really benefited from from that transition. But uh, it seems like all signs seem to be pointing towards increased adoption of electrified vehicles. So maybe I could have you each reflect on kind of the level of impact you see this happening and the, and the plans that are in place in the state to accommodate it. I'll start and then I'll let Commissioner Guna talk a little bit more about the load. You're absolutely right. Electrification is happening, and I want to boast a little bit about how much we've accomplished because we now in California have over uh, close to 1.1 million zero emission vehicles. We have 84 models. New sales of electric vehicles in, in California were 16% of all vehicles 
in 2022, the first quarter of 2022. That's almost a third higher than uh, they were last year. So we are definitely on track. Uh, we are definitely moving very rapidly uh, to electrification. We have very ambitious goals. The governor issued an executive order last year that calls for 100% of new light-duty vehicle sales to be zero emission by 2035. And there's similarly ambitious goals for medium and heavy-duty vehicles, drayage trucks, uh, and electric buses. So the impacts on the load, I think, are considerable, but they're manageable. I'll let Commissioner Gunda talk, and then I may jump in with a couple of things. Right. Um, yeah, so as Commissioner Rekshavan mentioned, I think you know the, the stats uh, in California really show an, a very optimistic path uh, for the electrification of transportation. In terms of thinking through the future of the grid planning, how do you then accommodate uh, you know, that kind of growth? Just kind of putting a, a high-level uh, stats on how we're thinking about it. If you look at the forecasting, uh, which, is, which is really you know, looking at the economic demographic uh, variables and kind of looking at a reasonable estimate of how the future could look like, we're looking at about three and a half million um, you know, ZEVs by 2030 in California. But if you look at the executive order that uh, Commissioner Ekshafin just mentioned, which kind of targets uh, achievement of 100% of ZEV sales, uh, 100% of all new sales of light duty being ZEVs in 2035, and, and you backcast that, you're looking at about five and a half million uh, new vehicles and ZEV vehicles by 2030 and looking at almost 13 million by 2035. Uh, so right now, um, the CARB, you know, California Resources Board is working on putting those numbers out and they're revising them right now. But when you look at that growth, um, even though we have good uh, place like the TOU uh, rates and such, we can uh, really move uh, the charging patterns to off hours, you still look at about a gig and a half addition to the net peak period in 2030. Uh, and it could go up to two to three, depending how load flexibility kind of play, plays out and um, the broader TOU rates play out. But one important thing, though, is to just note 95% of the time, the vehicles are static. You know, they're sitting in a parking lot, you know, so there's a real opportunity here for, you know, working on managed, managing those uh, charging uh, patterns. So, yeah, that's that's kind of high level. I would also add that we have multiple agencies, the Public Utilities Commission, the California Energy Commission, the Air Resources Board, as well as our grid operator that are doing scenario analysis right now, assuming very high levels of electrification including some of the very ambitious targets that Commissioner Gunda mentioned. We're doing it at the PUC in our integrated resource planning. The Air Resources Board just did a, a draft scoping analysis for how to reach carbon neutrality by 2045. Uh, uh, included in that is what's the impacts on load? How much do we need to build out? The California Independent System Operator just did a 20-year transmission study assuming very high levels of electrification and basically a doubling of the load, our current load in order to meet high levels of electrification. And we're also ordering the utilities in their distribution planning, which is much more granular, to do planning for system upgrades based on these high levels of electrification. A series supporter of Grid Forward Chats is iTron. iTron provides utilities in more than 100 countries with advanced network, software and metering and sensors to help them automate their operations, improve reliability, and integrate diverse energy resources. Learn more about building tomorrow's active grid at itron.com. 
a vehicle isn't a, a flat screen TV or, or a, a microwave or a refrigerator. I mean, this is a significant load coming on. You, men, you mentioned managed charging. So can we maybe dig in just a little bit on that topic? Um, historically, that's made vehicle OEMs a little bit nervous and, and some others. Um, how can we move forward in a productive direction and certainly at some sort of a reasonable scale? Because it seems to only really have been tested in pretty limited capacity so far. Any thoughts? I'm going to inject a little controversy in here, Bryce. I, 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 I want to. I, I, I take some issue. Maybe you said historically the uh, the OEMs have. Or did you say the vehicle owners have been? Yeah, yeah. Some of the OEMs and the and, and owners. Okay, so I I will take issue. I think historically, the uh, the OEMs have been reticent about that, but that's changed pretty dramatically. I think most of the major car companies have committed to all being all or part part electric and they're now uh, championing uh, vehicle grid integration if you i'll give you a perfect example is ford they now have an f-150 lightning model f-150 the f-150 is the leading uh, leading vehicle sold in in this country they have a waiting list of hundreds hundred, several hundred thousand people and they th- that battery is big enough to charge your house for two to three days. It's more power than a lot of stationary batteries at home. And they're marketing it as such. They're saying you can use it on your construction site. You can use it at a tailgating party. You can use it in the event of an outage. So I think the OEMs are recognizing the value in vehicle grid integration, especially in so-called bi-directional charging. If I could just talk about managed charging though, it, it is really critical uh, and especially, well, we, vehicle integration is just, you could call it smart charging, managed charging, charging at the right time. It makes an incredible difference. As Commissioner Gunda said, most, the duty cycle of most vehicles is highly flexible. Not everything, not, not, not commercial vehicles, but many, most people, most people's cars, they can shape when they charge. And if you, in California, for example, if you charge off-peak, Anywhere in the in the most parts of the state, you can fill up your you can charge your car for a third or half the price of gas, and that's actually before the recent inflationary run. So you can it can be much cheaper for you to charge your vehicle at the right time, and of course you can dramatically reduce the impacts on the grid, because what we want to avoid is a rush on charging at the net peak period in the summer, and there's lots of ways to avoid that. There's Automated load management is a best practice that people can, fleets can employ to really reduce the, Im- the impact on their bills. As commercial fleet owners may face demand charges that they can avoid, as well as, importantly, the impacts uh, on, the, on the grid from having a rush of millions of vehicles charging all at once. And it, as technology gets better, that's going to be easier and easier. I do want to just have a shout out to bi-directional charging, which I think is a game changer, which really can can do so much. I was just at an event in April sponsored by the Department of Education with the California Energy Commission. A lot of car manufacturers, utilities, uh, labor, the National Electric, Electrical Contracting Association promoting V2X, which is vehicle to everything, reflecting that this could be back to your house, the block, the neighborhood or the grid because it can provide all these services. It can provide backup power in an outage. It can help smooth the grid. It can provide help 
meet peak needs, and it can save, give customers a source of revenue because they're providing a grid service, and it can lower the costs of electric vehicle ownership. So it really is a game changer. You asked what we're we at the Public Utilities Commission are sponsoring a number of important pilots. We just approved twelve million dollars for PG&E. I think we're on the cusp of really advancing this technology. Any additional thoughts on this? Yeah, I think Commissioner Akshafan really kind of um, laid the ground of it. I think, you know, one of the things as we uh, look at the forecasting and, and, you know, the change in the consumer preferences, I think what you're beginning to see is a reduction in the range anxiety, right? So I think that was one of the main things that, you know, potentially historically probably driven some of this concern around the managed charging. You know, if you look at about having five and a half million vehicles in 2030, uh, you know, all getting charged at the same time, you're looking at about 75 gigawatt hours, right? But today, the, because of the increase in range, the amount of storage you have in these cars is multiple X of, of that. So I think, you know, the, the range anxiety um, has, has reduced uh, the opportunities for um, actually using some of the demand flex is changing. And as Commissioner uh, Rekshavan mentioned, the PGNE's Charge Forward uh, program, uh, which is around testing the, this pilot, is, is really game changing. So I think we have a lot of opportunity. You mentioned storage. I have a, a handy figure here. The International Energy Agency recently estimated there'll be about 130 to 250 million ZEVs on the road by 2030, meaning that 6 to 10% of ZEVs could meet all of the collective grid storage needs that we would have. Great. Um, maybe we can shift gears a little bit as we're coming near the end of our conversation. Um, Epic funding in California is one of the leading uh, opportunities for the industry, really, be, even beyond California, to see where, where things are heading in the ecosystem. What kind of a role do you see innovation playing on the grid that we need? Not necessarily the grid that we have now, but the grid that we that we need. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, just going back, circling back to the earlier parts of the conversation, the most important thing um, of, of, of all this, you know, a realization is to just think through one, I think it's a very dynamic situation, which means there seems to be a lot of ideas and a lot of challenges that has to be addressed. So that's where R&D and D&D become a very important part. And two, I think, you know, we talked about the importance of collaboration and, and reducing the silos of, of the interaction between the regulators, the market opportunity, the industry innovation. So I think it's critical uh, for where we are at this moment to really meet this moment requires all hands on the deck and it requires ideas that have not been, uh, you know, previously used. You know, as, you know, you know, Einstein mentioned once, you know, you can't, you know, be trying to solve the problems, you know, with the, with the same situation that created those problems, right? So I think we're in, in this important transitional moment and there is an incredible amount of importance to put money uh, in innovation to unlock new ideas. I couldn't agree more. And if we just take a collective step back and think about where we were 10 years ago, and where we are now, I don't think even most optimists would think we're, we've, we would be right where we are now. We have enormous problems, but I'm convinced that we're up to, uh, innovation will help meet us, help meet those challenges. Grid, renewables integration, just to pick one as a final thought. We need zero, zero emitting firm resources. There's a whole raft of new geniuses trying to figure out long duration storage. I'm convinced in five or 10 years, they'll 
they'll be there. They're not here yet, but we need that kind of innovation because the scale of the problems are unprecedented. All right. Uh, two more questions. So we've been here for two days with regulators across the West um, and leaders from the industry. Um, so for listeners who, who aren't familiar, this is the Western Nehruk meeting, and it's a pretty intimate gathering of, of, of the folks that are driving regulatory and policy ahead. Do you have any takeaways or highlights that have kind of caught your attention while we've been here together? It's very interesting. We're, we, there's a convergence of the challenges we're facing. And I want to just mention two things which go back to our initial discussion. One, in the transition from fossil resources, we're in a period of some risk and, and challenge till those that new generation of resources that I just mentioned are coming on board. So Hawaii is closing down its coal plant and each island on Hawaii is a separate grid and they're all trying to get to 100% renewable. So they face that challenge. Arizona and New Mexico are closing down coal plants. Nevada has to worry about the same kind of supply chain issues that we talked about as they're integrating renewables. So it's a collective problem to deal with climate changes, impacts as we're trying to solve for the problem of climate change. Secondly, I think there's a, a, a collective understanding and agreement that we need to do more in the way of building transmission. Almost every state in the West either has a clean energy standard by statute or regulation, or their utilities have adopted net carbon or, or zero carbon policies. There's a lot of uh, resource rich areas in the West that need to be connected to load we need to advance transmission pl pl planning going forward. Yeah, I think you know this is uh, my first Western conference, so so I really enjoyed uh, the conference and meeting a lot of people in person for the first time that I've been zooming with for the last two years. So it's been it's been great. So I think you know the the what I've observed and taken away from this is, as Commissioner Rekshaf mentioned, there is a certain level of agreement on the problem uh, and then the key solution matrix that we have. So I think there is a convergence and a consensus on about 80, 90% of what needs to be done. And I think these kind of venues allow for breaking down the silos, more integration, awareness, and an opportunity to talk through. So apart from um, the you know the two topics that Commissioner Rekshafen uh, mentioned, I think the demand flexibility was a very interesting element of the conversation and how do we really unlock that? Um, as well as how do we really use data? Uh, I really enjoyed S3's presentation yesterday on on what they're able to do in integrating these various uh, data sets to give us uh, forecasting and risk scenarios. So just uh, really great. Well, we're not going to end on a softball. So hopefully we can uh, end on this last question here today. I, I, I would argue that the, the grid doesn't seem like it's fully capable of, of meeting the demands and needs that, that are that seem to be compounding for it, right? We have a lot of challenges, we'll have a lot of demands that only seem to be becoming more increasingly complex to solve, um, especially if you consider, you know, potentially electrified transportation and, and all the other things that we've talked about today. Um, how can the grid that we have, how, how can our grid effectively meet the needs of the stakeholders that, that, that are looking to have reliable and affordable power and uh, meet the challenges that are coming at it? And, and we can kind of go back and forth a couple times. It doesn't have to, you don't have to answer the whole question at once. We were just at a panel uh, just before we started the podcast where the chair of the Hawaii Public Utilities Commission said, we don't need to keep studying whether or not we can integrate storage into the grid. We've proven the proposition now. I would say the same thing in California. 
we've had a 20-fold increase in the amount of grid-connected storage now. So it was 200, 250 megawatts. We now have over 4,000 megawatts and close, maybe climbing to five or 6,000 megawatts, and it's performing extremely well. So we are resilient. We're showing that we can adapt and, and have resources come online to meet the challenges. We've had in the past, in 2021 and 2022 in California, we have an unprecedented amount of new clean energy resources coming online the past two years with more coming all the time. So I think we are embracing the challenges. They are very significant, but it's got everyone's attention. I think transmission is now in people's uh, front mirror, not rear view mirror in a way it wasn't before. And there's a consensus about the need to be more proactive in transmission planning. Uh, so the, I agree with you, there's lots of challenges, but I think we're up to the task. Yeah, great. I, I'm glad that uh, Commissioner Rekshafen gave the you know you know hard answer, and I'm gonna try to you know kind of go on the on the soft side a little bit. I think you know one of the things um, what I'm kind of beginning to see is really the need for a more collaborative planning, right? So I think you know one of the things that you pointed out earlier, and Commissioner Rekshafen talked about the you know for example we have this one in ten planning standard, right? We we kind of look at history and we we plan for it. And one of the challenges that uh, PUC uh, currently has is some of the planning uh, data comes from CEC on forecasting, which keeps changing on them by the time they order procurement. And the reason why it's happening is because of the changes in, in economic demographic variables, climate issues that we're constantly incorporating. So what I am seeing is, you know, given the 2020 situation, at least speaking for California, the silver lining has been this incredible collaborative spirit. And I have, I'm a complete optimist. When we all roll up the sleeves, we all work together, anything can be solved. And, and I think we're in that place right now, uh, not just in California, but across the West. Well, we could have covered much, much more, but we covered a lot. And I really appreciate the time with you all today. Thanks for your leadership in California, um, what you all are, sh are tackling actively in the state, um, what you all are showing many others is possible. Um, and uh, thanks for the time today. Good to have you. Thank you very much, Bryce. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Bryce, for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Grid Forward Chats. If you're interested in Grid Forward membership and our work to accelerate grid modernization and energy innovation, including the backlog of our podcast, visit us at gridforward.org. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app.